This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. We feel very strongly that everyone needs to be studying the Bible, and let me tell you why. It's the truth. And in our day and age, the truth is so distorted. Uh, people are on a quest for truth, but there's so much that isn't truth out there. And we need the truth of God in our day, in our generation, in our time, for our families, for ourselves, to wash our mind clean. We need these things. And so it's our pleasure to bring forth God's truth. Now today, <clears throat> we're going to start in uh, chapter 2 of Ruth. Yes, after I think three messages, now we're starting chapter 2. And um, <clears throat> we're only going to cover about three verses today, I think. But I want to talk to you uh, today about becoming uh, the right you. Me becoming the right me. What do I mean? <clears throat> well, it's a love story. It's a love story that's going to develop between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth is the widower. And... Um, it's going to begin to start happening now in chapter 2. This is where the story gets really, really cool and how this love story, how romance happens and things like that. But here's what I've noticed. It was, I did the same thing, guys. I, uh, I'll be married um, 40, uh, 39 years next month, and I did this too. We spend um, most of our time um, in our life uh, <clears throat> looking... For the right things. It's got to be the right car. It's got to be the right house. It's got to be the right clothing. It's got to be the right shoes. It's got to be the right hairdo. It's got to be the right person. But how much of our life do we spend really thinking about becoming the right us? About our growth. About our development. When it comes to relationships and the, that key romantic relationship, we always want that person to be a certain way. We want them to maybe have grown to be a certain way and this and that. But how much do we really look at ourselves and say, well, I need to be the right me too. I need to be the right person. If I'm ever going to find the right person, I got to be the right person. I mean, I've told countless people, and I mean countless people, who come out of relationships or marriages and it's dysfunctional, it's painful, and they carry baggage in this baggage. I go, don't rebound. Please don't rebound. Because you're going to rebound into the wrong arms. And you're going to think, oh, they're so different. But most of the time they are different, but they're just on extreme opposite different and there's still dysfunctions there. Because you've got to become the right you in order you can pick the right them. And why would them, the right them, want a person who's not the right you? Does that make sense? Well, hopefully it will make sense as we go along. So <clears throat> we're going to pick up in chapter 2 in verse 1 because now enter... Uh, the key male figure in the story. His name is Boaz. Now, he is the, if you think about numbers, and I like all these little details. For some of you out there that are like this, let me just share it. Up until now, you've had Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons, and their two brides. It's six people. Now enters the seventh person in the story, Boaz. Seven is the number of perfection. And he is the picture of Jesus Christ in this story, without a doubt. And Jesus is the perfect one. 
God who came to earth, the perfect sacrifice. And here is Boaz, the perfect one, the picture of Jesus Christ. Let me read verse 1, and let's talk about this thing here. It says, Now Naomi, now remember, she's come back to town, had a kinsman. She's got this relative of her husband. This guy's related to her husband. The husband has died. A man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Enter Boaz. I like this guy. So I would want to start out by saying this in verse 1. Become the right person. Let me talk to you about Boaz, okay? <clears throat> He's impressive. Very impressive man. Boaz, the name means in him is strength. That's a great name, isn't it? How would you like your name to be? In him is strength. We know he's from the family of Elimelech. Elimelech is from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise. That's a good pedigree right there. <clears throat> from Boaz will come a man that we know and will know as King David. King David will be this man's great, great grandson. Hmm. Boaz great-great-great-grandson Solomon will be so impressed with the stories of his great-great-great-grandfather Boaz that when Solomon builds a temple, there are two pillars that sit out front and there's nothing on the top. They just kind of like go up to the sky. One of the pillars he's going to name, guess what? Boaz. Now, they must have handed down this some great stories. This man must have been some kind of a great, great man in many, many ways because his great, great, great grandson would name the entrance to the temple, one of the pillars, Boaz. Wow, that, that's impressive right there. You want to become the right person. This Boaz, he's the right person. <clears throat> It says in verse 1, we read there, that he is a man of great wealth. Now, don't just think of it as he is a successful businessman. He is, but let's take it and reference it and see what the Bible has to say about that particular term. Turn to Judges, just the previous book. Judges 11 and verse 1. Now watch what it says about Jephthah, who is a judge in Israel. It says, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior. Remember that term. But he was a son of a harlot. This guy did not have a good start in life. But he becomes a valiant warrior. That's something. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. <clears throat> now, it calls Jephthah a valiant warrior. It is the same, the same wording that we find for great wealth in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1. We would say it like this. He's a mighty man of valor. We could also say it like, he's a knight in shining armor. This guy's a great guy. He's a knight in shining armor. Isn't every, I think, let's just say most. Aren't most women looking for a 
knight in shining armor. A mighty man who has valor, an honorable man. Aren't women looking for a guy like that? When we start piecing together this man's life, we find that he's the right person. He's the person that you want. He's the person that people are looking for. He has become the right person for someone else. <clears throat> now, let me give you another little hint about this guy. Go back to Judges again, the very last chapter, chapter 21. Look at the last verse of Judges, verse 25. It says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, Ruth is being lived out in the time of the Judges. In the time of the judges, everyone's doing what they think is best. They're going with their own understanding. We know lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge God in all our ways, and He will make our path straight. We know to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. But the country is living in, I think I'll do what I think is right. Boaz, the mighty man of valor, he didn't leave the country during the famine like his relative Elimelech did. He stayed. He stayed where God says, this is where I'll provide for you. This is the promised land. And because he stayed there, because he obeyed God, guess what? God supplied for him even in the famine. Even in the famine. He stayed obedient even when it was difficult, even when his emotions and his thought processes are telling him, you got to get out of this place. There's no food here. And now we find, we're going to find, it's a barley harvest now. So he stayed and he obeyed God. Now let me tell you about this guy. Because to really understand the story, to really understand what's going to take place from here on out, as it comes to the romance between... Um, uh, 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 Boaz and Ruth. Because it's not like today where, oh, hey, would you like to go out to dinner and a movie? Okay. Uh, next week, I'm going to go out to dinner. Okay. It's not like that. These days are different. And, I mean, pretty cool the way they did these things. He's called, in verse 1, chapter 2, the kinsman. I like that. The kinsman. In Hebrew, the word kinsman is the word goel. G-O-E-L. And that word means redeemer. And that's why when we teach about this guy, he's called the kinsman redeemer. Let me tell you why that's a big, big deal. Um, in Old Testament times, if you had land, that was your land by inheritance. It's yours. Now, you could make some really bad business decisions you could file bankruptcy. You could put yourself in all kinds of problems. And you might have to sell your inheritance, your land, to someone else. Yeah, just to survive because you just made some bad decisions. There was a really cool system in the Old Testament. It's called the Year of Jubilee. Every 50 years... If you sold your land 
because you needed to live because you made bad decisions or you lost your land or filed bankruptcy, whatever happened, sometimes you would even sell yourself as a, a servant just to be able to survive. It was just a way to survive. But at the end of 50 years, the Jubilee time came, everything reverted back. Your land was your land again. There's nothing you had to pay. There's nothing you had to do. You were free. And it was a way to, to keep a, a vast separation between rich and poor. It was a pretty good, it was a very good system. It was God's system. Now, within those 50 years where people might have lost this or lost that and sold themselves there, um, <clears throat> you could have a near relative, a kinsman, a goel, a redeemer, who had means. And he could buy that land back from the person that you sold it to because he's a near relative. He could buy it back. He could buy you back. He could do all these things. He could free all those things up and get it back. That's what he could do. But also, he is the redeemer and he's a kinsman. If he's the nearest relative, say Elimelech, then he can redeem Ruth. He could redeem her and he could become her husband if she so chooses. Because now she's in a bit of a quandary because she's a single woman, she's a widower, she's got to make ends meet. So this guy comes on the scene and we've already read all about him. This guy has become the right person. This is the guy. Now let me, let me talk a little bit about that. First off, Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ, the our kinsman redeemer who bought us back from the slave market and freed us from sin and set our feet on solid ground and declared that our citizenship is in heaven and that we are children of God. Ruth, where the romance is going to begin, Ruth is a, is a Gentile. She's not Jew, she's a Moabite. She's a picture of the Gentile church. You and I are in the church age, we are the Gentile church. And we've been redeemed by our Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. It's a beautiful picture of it. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about Boaz and this whole situation. Everything I told you about him, let, let, me, let me apply some things. <clears throat> he is not a little boy trapped in a grown man's body. You got too many of them floating around. Got too many angry, angry little boys in grown man's bodies. Got too many, you know, immature uh, little boys in grown man's bodies walking around, and they just go from one relationship to another, just tragically wrecking it all. And don't get me wrong, there are little girls trapped in grown up women's bodies too. They just never grew up. They were never taught how to grow up. They didn't. They don't know what grown up looks like. They don't know what normal looks like. And in many cases, not even their fault. They were never given normal. But this guy's a man, okay? And he handles life like a man. You know, he's not gonna, he doesn't walk around angry and upset and blowing up. He's, he's got the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He's successful. He went out and did it. He went out and made something of his life. He's a man. He's a good guy. Now, the second thing I want to say about him is this, with all this. What the story doesn't really tell you yet is that 
He will question her later because when they start thinking about this marriage thing, he is an older man. It's believed that he's about 30 years older than Ruth. So he's probably maybe, you know, 50, early 50s, and she's 20, early 20s, whatever that might be, somewhere around that we think maybe mid-50s, she's mid-20s. We don't know how long, how, how that is, but that's strongly believed he's, he's 30 years older than her. And so the question has to be asked, well, why isn't this man married yet? If he's such a great catch. Ah, people who are great catches and people who have, you know, grown themselves up the right way, they don't settle for just anyone. They're not going to go for anyone. Oh, they're really good looking. I'll go for them. No, they want to know that person has character. They want to know that that person has moral fiber. They want to know they're not going to marry a lemon. You know, you know what I mean? Because they've worked hard to become who they are, so they expect to marry somebody who's worked hard to become who they are. You know, they became the right person, and so they're looking for a person who became the right person. I just gave you something really important, young single people or 30-some-year-old or single person. <clears throat> Let me tell you another thing. Because he's waited for this right person because he's become the right person, he has gone... Okay, he would be an anomaly in our culture. Yeah, he would. L let me tell you why. You know what our culture does? Our culture trains us to make relationships and break relationships. And then make another relationship and break that relationship. And then make another relationship and then break that relationship, and then make another relationship, and then break that relationship. <clears throat> That's what it's training us to do. That's what it's training us to do. It's teaching us our culture and the way society operates relationally, romantically. We train ourselves. We know, we know how to start a relationship, but we don't know how to take a relationship long term. We have no idea. We jump ship so fast. We jump in and out. I'm dating this person this week. Next week I'm dating that person. Well, we dated for four months now. I've moved on to this other person. That's what we're teaching ourselves. And we're ruining ourselves. We're ruining ourselves. This man waited. He became the right person. Because he wants to pick a person who became the right person. Because when you get married, this is all the way, baby. This is not for six months or three years. Say, well, you know, we had a good run. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because marriage takes a lot of work. Like I told you before, I'll, next month I'll be married um, uh, 39 years. That took a lot of work. A lot of work to just be, continue to try to become the right person. He's the right person. Now watch this. Verse 2. And Ruth, now enter into Ruth in this little beginning of a romance that they don't even know is going to happen yet. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean. Glean because there's a harvest now, because Naomi heard, remember back in chapter 1, that God visited and there's food there. She's come back, oh, there's a harvest, so now they're going out in the field and Boaz stayed there and he's got a massive harvest coming in. And glean among the ears of grain. After one in whose sight I may find favor. What a lovely little line. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. She says, let me go find a field of somebody, of one person who might give me favor, might give me grace, and let me glean there. She doesn't know it's going to be Boaz. But notice she says, please let me go. In other words, <clears throat> I could just sit around here and die <laughs> without food, but, but let, me, let, let me go try to do something about this. Now, I'm going to talk about that more in a second. But let me say this. What is going on here that she can go into someone's field and think she can go get stuff out of that field? What in the world? What nerve of this person? It's not nerve. It's God's law. Watch this. <clears throat> Turn to Leviticus way back, a little bit further back in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. And watch verse 9 and 10. There was this law God put in Leviticus. <clears throat> and it, here's what it says. It's a, great, it's a great law. Now, verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land. Now, you have a field, you have land, good harvest coming in. You shall not reap the very corners of your field. Leave the corn. Do not reap there. Leave it alone. Leave the stalks there and leave it alone. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Some of the stuff that gleans in the ground, just leave it. You left it behind, don't come back and get it. Verse 10, nor shall you glean your vineyard. Nor shall you gather the fallen fruit from, of your vineyard. Fruit falls out, leave it alone. You got plenty, you got such a good harvest. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay, what's, what's happening? When Ruth says, let me go into a field and glean, that's, that's the Old Testament law that she is citing, which must have been taught to her um, by Naomi or the husband because they're Jewish. So she's learning these things. Well, she goes, well, let me go there and do that then. <clears throat> now, when you had a field or fields and you have, you're, you're, you're harvesting your crop, God says, leave the corners because the poor people, you got to remember the poor people. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who gave it to you. So leave the corners. Leave enough in the corners. So people that are hungry, people that are needy, <clears throat> they can go and they can harvest that and glean that, glean the grain. I like that because there's two things I like about it. That you're taking a, some of your surplus and you're helping people. You know, as a Christian, that's what we're to do. But let me give you the flip side of that coin. The people in need, the poor people, you didn't harvest it and go bring it to them. They had to come and work in that field and harvest it themselves. We got this so wrong in America, don't we? There are people right now that think we should just be giving everything away. And I've said before and I'll say it again, I am glad there are safety nets for people who are handicapped, for military who come back and they are really wounded 
and can possibly never work again. I'm glad we have these things. We live in a great country, never doubt that. I've been in third world countries, they don't have that. But if you're able to work, he says, you go glean it. You go get it. Nobody's going to bring it to you. You got to go get it. And that's what she's doing. It's a great law. It's a fantastic law. Now let me tell you some things about her. She's not hindered by a lack of a spouse. She's not going, well, I don't have a husband. Uh, what am I going to do? Maybe I should go to the nightclub and find a husband. No, she's going to go get a job. She's going to go find, she's going to go do it. She is not going to play the victim. She's going to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. And there are opportunities. She's going to go get it. I like this lady. You know what it means to me? And what it's going to mean to Boaz? She is the right person. He doesn't want to marry a victim. He doesn't want to marry somebody sitting around like, well, poor me, poor me. This woman got up and did something about it and took advantage of the advantages and opportunities that were there. And that's going to impress Mr. Boaz. Now, about being single. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. <clears throat> about being single. Real quick, it says in verse 32 and 33 it says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world. How he please his wife. He's not for or against marriage. If God calls you to marry, marry. If he doesn't call you to marry, don't marry. But he's just simply pointing out a fact. If you're married, you're consumed with how to, you know, your spouse. But if you're single, boy, you can, you're consumed with how can I please God? How many things can I do for God? That's not a bad thing. See, we've so stigmatized being single in America, and especially in the church, like it's bad. It's not bad. You could do so many things for God. So don't, don't ever feel like there's some kind of shame in being single. There is not. There is not. Now, <clears throat> single person. With that said, how do I say this? Um, you probably know some people or have known a person. They get a boyfriend. They break up and they got a new boyfriend in seven hours or a new girlfriend in seven hours. And you're like, I can't even get a date. I can't, I can't even get a date. What's wrong with me? Nothing wrong with you. Something wrong with them. They just keep picking wrong people. And that's all they're doing is picking wrong people. <clears throat> just be like Ruth. Don't sit around when they're going to have, get in the field. Start serving. Get in there. And as you serve, God will take notice. And boom, something's going to happen. If you so choose it to happen. Now, verse 3. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to. Whoa who was of the family of Elimelech. In other words, the near relative, the kinsman redeemer. There he is. She just happened to be in that field. Now, <clears throat> here's what I want to say about that. <clears throat> she's not out looking, but she's being looked after. God has his hand in her because she went to serve. 
She's going to take care of her mother-in-law. It's not about her. It's not about I got to get out there and find somebody. No, I got to go out there and do these things my mother-in-law needs. So she's not out there looking, but God is going to look after her. Ah, God's taking notice of her, but not just God. There's a man named Boaz. She just happened to come to Boaz Field. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I kind of feel like this is God maneuvering the pieces. She's making right steps. She's becoming the right person. Boaz is going to look at her. There's a servant. She's a servant. She's not thinking about herself and finding a husband only, which he'll make statements later about that. But she's concerned about her mother-in-law. That's impressive. Boaz, that's impressive. It is impressive. It is impressive. And it impressed God. And God's hand was upon this woman. I want you to think about this. That's where I want to finish. She's not doing woe is me. She's not playing the victim. We've all done that. She got up and she did something about it. She made sure she took care of her mother-in-law. And in doing so, God took notice Boaz will take notice, and this is going to be the beginning of a great romance. She just happened to come to Boaz Field as she becomes a servant. Just happened? Nothing just happens. Nothing. God is orchestrating because she's chosen to serve, and God led her to the field of the man Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Well, I'm going to stop right there for now because there's too much in the ensuing verses to even open up that can of worms. So we'll get to that next time. Hey, so, hey, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.